Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach Podcast. Since 2010, the most listened to show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach Podcast with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is, without a doubt, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Podcast are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. After the show, you can find all of our podcasts at tedhart.com on iTunes. And now, just say, Alexa, play Nonprofit Coach on TuneIn. Now, welcome the host of the Nonprofit Coach Podcast, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this latest edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, We have a very uh, impressive gentleman as our page two expert today. Uh, And this is a little bit of a different show uh, because this is a master class today. And this will be a master class in nonprofit fundraising. Uh, And so we will get to that as soon as we finish uh, with page one. And it's now time to start the news. First up here on page one news is Idea Kolar. Idea is with Candid. Uh, Idea, bring us up to speed with what's going on with uh, Candid, the combination of GuideStar and uh, the uh, uh, and fundraising. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me on the show again. Just wanted to share a little bit more. Um, last time when I was on, I mentioned that we had just launched our coronavirus pop-up webpage. And as we've just seen more stuff go on in the world regarding coronavirus, we've been investing a lot of resources into tracking and documenting the philanthropic response to COVID-19. So the website has expanded. And since I was last on, we've seen um, the philanthropic response increase significantly. Funding is more than quadrupled. And right at this moment, we have... um, We show 462 funders who funded more than 1,000 grants, which are worth $6.7 billion to more than 478 recipients. And one of the great things about the webpage is the most visited section on the webpage is the funding opportunity section, which is constantly updated with new RFPs. So out of all the pages that people are visiting, they're staying there the longest, they're looking to see what funding opportunities are available, what they can access. You can do it by country, by state. Um, It can go really granular, and it's it's really been helping a lot of people. So we've been really excited to see that that moving forward. And And that's $6.7 billion mm -hmm. of value of grants. That includes the outstanding RFPs that you're showing on, on the site right now. Is that correct? Right, yeah, the six, uh-huh, the yeah. whole package. And if people want to visit the webpage, it's www.candid.org forward slash coronavirus. Very, so, very impressive. When you go to that site, you can search by geographic area, but there are 110 RFPs for COVID-19 response uh, on this site. Extremely impressive work. Uh, what else is going on at Candid? Um, we actually just released our first annual Candid rep- annual report. So um, people can go and see that at www.candid.org forward slash annual. And the 2019 annual report is the story of how we became Candid, both operationally and culturally. And we released it in PDF because obviously we don't want to ship around 
to different places in the world right now. So we felt that this format would allow people to access it um, as efficiently and safely as possible. And so we've also made it accessible so people can use it on screen readers, um, you know, for accessibility things. And the report is packed with information. It has information about how we joined forces, how much data we have, new products that we launched in 2019, which include scholarships for change, investing in Native communities, Latinx funders. It includes information about our latest nonprofit compensation report. It includes information about our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. It has a section called Why We Like Each Other, where former Foundation Center people spoke about what they liked about GuideStar people and vice versa. And it even has a crossword puzzle, which has information related to Candid and the nonprofit sector. And it has even more than that. So people are interested in seeing how we became Candid and how we've been doing this past year. They should go and check out our annual report. That's terrific. And, of course, Candid is the combination of the Foundation Center and GuideStar. Those websites still exist and, of course, are sort of double branded to candid. How is all of how are all those brands uh coming together and, and working together? Well they're coming together and we're slowly um basically integrating more and more. So we have a three year integration process and so we're in the middle of it and just continuing to roll out more ways that things are integrated. And so if people keep looking, they're gonna see things becoming more candidized as we move forward. Is that a new phrase that we all have to get used to, being candidized? It is not. It is an idea phrase. <laughs> I'm sure there are it's other people who phrase. use it. <laughs> yes. All right. Terrific. Terrific. Yeah. Well, Idea, thank you so much for coming and bringing us up to uh, date on what's happening uh, over in Candid. We look forward to your next visit here on the Nonprofit Coach Podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Stay safe. And next up here on page one news, Jeff Stanger is here to uh, bring us up to speed on CFRE International. Jeff, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And this is an exciting day for CFRE. I'm so happy to be here to tell you this. Our study guide, the study guide that we've been working on for quite some time now, launched today. It is available on Amazon and it will, uh, you know, matriculate into other other stores and other Amazon platforms over the next few days. But we're just excited that it's out, uh, that it's available. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of third-party uh, tools out there for preparing for the CFRE exam, uh, but this is the first one that we developed uh, ourselves. And so we're really proud of it and ready for people to, to be able to use it uh, along their path to, uh, to study for the exam. Terrific. Of course, as you know, here on the Nonprofit Coach, we, uh, we do encourage all of our listeners uh, who do qualify, um, who have completed five years in the fundraising profession, uh, to begin the process and to seek certification. How many um, CFREs do we have? Uh, well, we're well, I don't have the exact number at the top of my head, but we're well over, over 6,000 approaching seven. And um, uh, we, we've seen a lot of interest. Uh, obviously, everyone's talking about, you know, how are we adjusting with COVID-19 and what's that look like from a test preparation um, and, and uh, actually a test taking standpoint. We are working with our, our test uh, to, to look at remote proctoring, and uh, we're trying to get that online here as quickly as possible. We're working really hard with, with folks who need to, to move or reschedule. Uh, their exam. So things are, you know, obviously in flux, just like everyone else. So uh, definitely not singing the blues, but just trying to work through uh, how we do that. But one thing that's worth mentioning and, and candid, who you just had on is a big part of this, is uh, our tool, My Education Finder, on our website. For those people who are looking for fundraise or uh, education opportunities because the conference they were going to go to got canceled or rescheduled, uh, this is a time to use that free resource because, uh, like you said, you know, like Candid, there are lots of organizations who are offering some great uh, education opportunities, and, and you can find those and search by, by topic, by, by keyword, uh, by domain name, all of those things. 
That's terrific, terrific. Uh, Jeff, um, usually there's updates about conferences and things like that, obviously in, uh, in the, the world uh, with the global pandemic. I'm imagining that a lot of those are postponed and, uh, uh, and or being rescheduled. Absolutely, and and that's another thing to check in with us, and people can email me directly, learn at CFRE.org. Uh, a lot of the organizations who are having to move their conferences uh, are letting us know, or if they're changing those into a digital format, letting us know. We're trying to keep people as updated as possible, but if you're concerned about that or have a question, feel free to email me uh, directly, and we're, we're happy to help. But in the meantime, like I said, the, the study guide is, is a fantastic new tool. Uh, there are practice questions. Uh, it it talk, guides you through the day of the exam, how, how multiple choice questions are put together, the theory behind it. Um, it gives you a, a study plan, so lots of resources all within that, that study guide. Terrific. Jeff Stanger, thank you for bringing us up to speed on what's happening at CFRE International. Um, and just again, uh, anybody who has questions, concerns about testing or any other topic, uh, I believe can uh, email Jeff at learn at CFRE.org. Is that correct, Jeff? That's correct. Thanks for having me. Thanks. We look forward to having you uh, with us next time. That means it is time for page two. We have a, a special announcer here to uh, bring us into our page two expert. Stephen Nill is here. Uh, and Steve, uh, you are here to introduce our speaker today. Ted, it's a pleasure to be back on your show. Thank you. And yes, indeed, I'm here to introduce Lawrence A. Pagnoni. Uh, Lawrence is uh, a highly experienced uh, fundraising professional. He's got over 35 years in the sector. Um, and I I met Lawrence when he was proposing a book for Charity Channel Press and just the very moment when we had decided to extend um, our work with Charity Channel Press to include um, something called our, our new project uh, called Author Brick Road and where we work with authors um, not necessarily to publish us because we were finding we had published so many books on so many topics, it was increasingly difficult to take on new, uh, new, new books. Frankly, the topics um, were starting to just kind of repeat themselves. So, uh, with Audric Road, Lawrence came in and was pretty much, I think, our first, if not one of our very first, people to go through the program. And we were able to work with him on uh, on his book. Uh, he wrote a brilliant book. I was super impressed by the manuscript. It didn't need very much editing, if, if any, but we were able to walk him through the process, and his book is now published, and that's you know, the reasons why we're, we're here, of course. Um, probably the most interesting thing about his new book, Fundraising 401, Master Classes in Nonprofit Fundraising that would make Peter Drucker, Drucker proud, is Lawrence actually brings with him experience um, from another pandemic, he was running um, a, as a CEO, an agency um, who served HIV AIDS patients during the height of the HIV AIDS pandemic uh, quite a few number of years ago. And that experience, and as well as running other agencies since then, was really poured into this book. And I don't think Lawrence foresaw the current COVID-19 um, challenges when he, the manuscript, and it wasn't even on the horizon when I got the manuscript for the first time to read. But now this crisis has, is upon us. Um, I am so amazed at how the book really predicts the very challenges that those of us in the fund development arena uh, are now facing as a result of this current pandemic. And, you know, it takes somebody who's been through um, the, uh, a pandemic um, in, in a leadership role for a nonprofit agency and, the ch and who's had to handle those challenges to have the kind of insight uh, that writes about in his book. Um, 
even something that seems obvious, which is that agencies are going to be so challenged to serve their clientele that they're going to be hesitant to invest adequately in their fund development program, things like that, that, that really you have to have been through the trenches um, to really have that kind of insight. So um, the main thing about Lawrence is he wrote a book that wasn't a how-to book. There are, there are hundreds, probably thousands of books like that on fundraising out there. And, and quite honestly, uh, Charity Channel Press has published some of those too. But he gets down into principles and lessons that only someone with aids in the field is going to have. And somebody reading this book who's looking at these, uh, you know, these current challenges and, and wanting to understand how in the world are we, we going to respond to this is going to come away thinking, wow, he really, really is talking to me. I'm going to read this. Once I've read this book, I'm going to have a great idea of really how to proceed. And, and it's, this makes it the perfect book for the times, even though, again, I don't think he foresaw this particular virus coming our way when, uh, when he wrote the manuscript. So that's, um, that's my introduction for Lawrence. And I should mention that he is chairman of Lapa Fundraising in New York. He has uh, dozens of, of nonprofit clients who are relying on his advice, probably now more than ever. Uh, just an amazing professional, one of the very top um, people in the field, uh, Ted, and um, I'm so happy that you're having him on, and it's a, it's a privilege and an honor to introduce him. Well, Steve, thank you for that wonderful introduction, and you know our, our producer, Diane uh, Peach, she just knows right the right time to bring each person onto uh, the Nonprofit Coach uh, podcast, and uh, of course, you saw that uh, we had as a tagline for this uh, to encourage inquisitive thinking and advanced thinking about fundraising strategy at a time that the world needs philanthropy more than ever before. So uh, uh, with that, I'm going to bring uh, Lawrence in, and Steve Nill is still uh, here. So, uh, Lawrence, if you uh, want to say a few words before Steve has to head out of the green room here. Well, I appreciate being on, and it's an honor to meet the audience and Ted and I am uh, enormously grateful to Steve for uh, the humbling uh, introduction. Um, I um, uh, have tried to deliver something that is in the spirit of Peter Drucker's thinking about advancing a dilemma to what what Peter and I often use the term as a, a better set of problems. So. Uh, fundraising well, let's for start there, if, if you don't mind, Lawrence. I, I want to just remind everybody of the name of your book, which is available uh, over on Amazon, Fundraising 401 Masterclasses in Nonprofit Fundraising that would make Peter Drucker proud. And, of course, I think where we should start is uh, who is uh, who was Peter uh, Drucker, and he is one of the most widely known and influential thinkers on management. Uh, whose work continues to be used by managers worldwide today. And, and there are a lot of famous quotes attributed uh, to Peter Trucker, but Lawrence, one of, I think, the most famous is, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Um, so, Lawrence, why tie uh, uh, this master class to the teachings of Peter Drucker? Well, uh, this book is all about how fundraisers can create uh, the future, uh, but Peter was my teacher, and um, Peter was not a fundraiser. He was an organizational development uh, management consultant, and he worked primarily in the corporate world, And he, but he came to the nonprofit sector later in his life, and um, here in New York City, he founded the Peter Drucker Institute, and I was a uh, a young, a young buck and uh, a fellow, Peter Drucker fellow, and uh, got to ask him all those idealistic questions. Uh, but he had answers, and he had uh, steps to get the answers. So, when I wrote the first draft of this book, I, um, I uh, subconsciously was quoting Peter all throughout it, and then reading uh, draft. Later on, I realized, my goodness, you know, I can't really talk about how to think about fundraising without acknowledging uh, Peter's foundation that he laid for me and that I hope others will become curious about. 
Um, there's um, at least half of the chapters in the book uh, have pullouts about Druckerian thinking and how it applies to fundraising. And then um, I came to discover that uh, my colleague, Simone Joy, uh, who is well-known to many people in fundraising, uh, was also similarly influenced by uh, Peter, and uh, she uh, agreed to write the foreword uh, to this book. Um, but um, her favorite quote, Simone Joy's favorite quote, um, uh, is uh, that culture eats strategy for lunch. And um, I think what COVID-19 is showing is that the cultures of philanthropy in the nonprofit organizations that are the strongest are the ones that are responding the most uh, direct and the most resiliently. And the ones, the nonprofits with cultures that need support and are still nascent um, need our help. And so, um, uh, culture each strategy for lunch is showing uh, even in the midst of this uh, health epidemic. One of the things that uh, Peter was uh, most known for is that he believed that managers should, above all else, be leaders. Um, how does that tie into your master class on nonprofit fundraising? Um, and what, who, who's providing the leadership? What's the message that you're bringing? Uh, because Peter also uh, pushed this uh, concept of management as a distinct function and being a manager as a distinct responsibility. So, you know, we take those concepts for granted now. Uh, but, but uh, you know, back um, in, uh, you know, the, the 1980s, 1990s, uh, Peter is, you know, was very, very influential um, in really sort of promoting these concepts of, of a definition of management and the definition of the manager's responsibility. Is that the direction that you're going in with the fundraising profession and the, the role of the development officer? That Are you saying that that needs to be further defined, that they need to be leaders in their own right? Uh, very much so. Uh, so many uh, chief development officers, VPs of advancement, directors of development, um, they're, they're way too siloed in, in uh, their organizations, and their voice on the executive team is often uh, uh, overshadowed by the chief financial officer or the uh, chief executive officer. Just last week, um, uh, a chief development officer out in California that, that I work with had spent uh, two months on a very nuanced, very progressive uh, plan to advance their uh, revenue development program. And it was summarily dismissed in a uh, brief uh, conversation with the chief uh, executive officer um, just because of uh, uh, being uh, somewhere around $5,200 over budget for what they had uh, uh, had planned, but um, uh, it really let the winds out of his sails, and the likelihood of him staying at that job is very low right now. Um, so uh, uh, CEOs, nonprofit CEOs, obviously need to see their role as the chief fundraiser, but they also need to develop, nurture the chief development officer uh, uh, as a peer and as a leader in the, the culture of philanthropy in the same way that the executive director or the CEO or the president is leading in the organizational culture. The culture of philanthropy right. I, is a real thing. Yeah, and I, I, I want so, – so you're sort of walking us through – some of the um, the things that you talk about in uh, in chapter one, but if I can lead you um, to your chapter two concept, because I think this is this is so very very important. It's a topic that we've discussed with several authors here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, podcast, and then it's called development for a reason. And th this is this is sort of central to your thinking, isn't it? That 
that, uh, that the development professional is developing the opportunities for people to give, but, but many uh, executives, chief executives, executive officers, um, get confused in thinking that they have hired a chief fundraising officer and not a chief development officer and what's the different in, difference and what's your point when you say it's called development for a reason? All right. Well, in preparation for this call, I, I think we arranged this a few weeks ago, I kept a little yellow tab on my desk of how many times I heard a CEO use the expression early wins. Uh, I'm sure many on the podcast are laughing right now having heard it themselves, right? So it's called development for a reason in, in contrast to early wins. Uh, we want the development officer to be about long-term wins. Um, That's right. And, and um, uh, so many CEOs, they're thinking about development um, is uh, is in really impaired. There's been no intervening variable. They they've seen you know stats on the you have to wait for direct mail return. They they have gotten close in, in talking to program officers at institutional funders, but uh, the whole gestalt of how to think about a development program and to and to support a leader, an independent leader. Uh, and, and to have their leadership complement that chief development officer's leadership, um, that's what it's called development for a reason is, is all about. It's to help the CEO change their thinking, deepen their thinking, refine their thinking uh, uh, so that um, uh, they're, they're, it's more uh, in line with what produces real revenue long term. This is a this is a point that I almost feel like uh, you know every master class has to uh, has to raise this concept right, but, but it's not a new concept. Uh, it's one that just doesn't seem to get traction uh, with a lot of organizations that are looking at fundraising not as a series of relationships of investors in the future of the organization, but are looking at it as a source of money. How, again, because this is a master class, we can talk uh, more about advanced um, uh, uh, thinking and uh, self-management of your position if you are um, in a fundraising position or running a development office. How do you help an organization make that transition? Because the, the, it is, as you just pointed out, it is um, helping the chief executive, the executive director, understand the role of how to be maximum successful uh, with your fundraising and not just quick successful um, in, in your fundraising. How do you make that? What advice can you give to our listeners on how, how do you start that conversation? How do you start that education? And how do you become uh, the master of the development operation when they're really just looking at you bringing in money. Yeah. So uh, I hope these, I'll, I'll rattle off a few very practical ways to do that, Ted. Um, and I hope that um, uh, they're as clear as could be. So first I assess is this executive director I'm working with uh, reflective or not. Uh, Non-reflective CEOs uh, will not really ever change. Now, you could say some of us are more reflective than others, but Peter Drucker believed that reflection was something we could learn, but you have to nurture it. If your CEO is not someone who has shown any evidence of changing their mind or listening to others, or looking in the mirror themselves, three qualities of a reflective CEO, the chances that they're going to understand uh, the partnership required in fundraising with the chief development officer are very low. Uh, the second thing I'd mentioned besides a re having a reflective well, CEO. Do you, mind, do you mind, Lawrence, if I, 
if, sure. if, 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 if you mind if I stop you there though, because I, I, first of all, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think just uh, you know in, empirically, many of our our listeners are nodding their heads right now, saying yes, that's true. But nonetheless, I have a job to do. I, I, I have a position. I want to help this organization be uh, as successful as I possibly can. Um, if, if I have a non-reflective non, uh, um, CEO or chief executive, is there nothing that I can do or is there something I can do? Are there other sources of power within the organization that, that can listen or can be educated or or does it stop and start with you don't if you don't have the right kind of CEO you're not going to find that success. Yeah, I've I've had success doing two things when I've had a low reflective CEO. One is to find um uh, a good a good coach that myself as the chief fundraiser and the CEO can meet with usually in person, of course now with um, social distancing, uh, I guess Skype is a, is a good uh, second option, but um, uh, to, to, to engage a, a very senior coach to lead us in an intentional dialogue about the different positions um, and the, uh, the insights that the, the, the needs that each have. And that, that has, has, has broken through uh, from time to time. Um, I was talking to a retired senior fundraiser last week who uh, did not do that and came to regret it. I had advised him to get a, an executive coach, and he trained somebody for a year before he retired, and they resigned within one month of him leaving. Um, and he had to come back to the organization and and redo it, and he said that if he had to, to do it again, he would um, uh, bring in a, um, a, a an executive coach. Now, of course, they really have to be quite good, um, so I encourage you to interview a few people before you settle on just one referral. The, the second thing mm -hmm. I've seen uh, when you have a, a low, reflective nonprofit executive director is to have uh, identify one or two people on the board or the development committee who are change agents who get what you're about and work closely with them as a workaround to the CEO. And that's been a successful strategy on a number of engagements. Mm -hmm. I, I would think that the self-interest of the organization to want to be successful in fundraising in some ways should argue that there would be a better audience for the best practices of fundraising. Is that not always the case? A better audience, uh, you mean um, amongst To CEOs? the messaging uh, of, of, a, of a chief development officer uh, advising and, and counseling internally on how to uh, find maximum success in fundraising. Hmm. Um. I don't know. Uh, what's been your experience? Yeah, well, I think I, I, I think just that that point is that um, you know to your to what you just said in terms of maybe there's a couple of people on the board, maybe there are other members of the administration. But the point that I'm making is is that that there is a self interest on the part of the organization to want to raise money. What seems to be the higher hurdle um, is understanding who they should be listening to for counsel on best practices. And, and what I try to help development officers understand is that their role is to develop the opportunities to give and to help deploy uh, those members of the organization's community, volunteers, board members, uh, chief executive, um, to uh, assist in that process to become the fundraisers. And, and if you, as a chief development officer, are raising all the money, if you're making all the asks, then, then that's your first clue that you're not maximizing success for the organization. Uh, I, see, I see where you're coming from. Um, my experience is usually uh, with under-resourced nonprofits who are trying to go to the next level, and um, uh, the anxiety about 
again, that term uh, early wins, the anxiety about uh, justifying the expense. Um, uh, one, one nonprofit, the, the, everything I'm telling you, by the way, in the book and in this conversation, these are all real. This is real stories about what's really going on. So two weeks ago, um, and I wrote about this in the, my article uh, last week in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, um, I think that, uh, that article was uh, entitled, Now is the Time to Invest in Fundraising. Um, yes. In, in there, I tell a story about a, a very prominent nonprofit CEO who wanted, who essentially wanted the fundraisers to work for free until we had an early win, because as he said, he couldn't bring it to his board in the time of COVID without showing that um, it was justifiable. Well, uh, the anxiety behind not having the resource, and he had the resources, but he didn't want to expend them. He wanted us to justify our own, our own uh, existence. And I just said that, you know, that wasn't fair for his fundraisers or for our council. And so the conversation really ended there. So um, I think uh, to your scenario, yes, but with the exception that in an organization that sees spending on fundraising capacity as a burden and not a profit center, it, it, it just doesn't, right. doesn't work. So, so, so bring us to um, how do you make the case? Um, how do you feel? How do you instill confidence in our listeners to be able to make the case that they are, uh, will be, should be a profit center for the organization? Well, um, I, I encourage you to, you know, choose well when you're interviewing uh, to make sure the CEO is is re- reflective. Um, uh, uh, that includes uh, the chief finance officer. Uh, I have a chapter in the book um, about the role between the chief finance officer and the uh, chief development officer, and uh, and I wrote it from the experiences of chief finance officers often uh, raining on the parade of fundraisers. So I guess my first mm-hmm. strategy is a defensive one, you know, be prepared of how to deal with the objections. And then, uh, but, but most of the book is uh, an offensive strategy about how to build uh, a positive culture of philanthropy, what it takes, what the metrics are for measuring success in our work, and that I am as on fire as ever I am in my life with the role of advancement. You know, I was not born a fundraiser. I don't think many of us are. Uh, I think we're created. And um, uh, I'm sharing in this book the, uh, the creation story of, of my uh, immersion as a high-level fundraiser. Um, and no matter where you are in your life journey, there's so much more to learn. I, I, I mean, it's astounding. I can't keep up with writing how much I'm learning right now, um, even at this stage of my career and life. And I'm very grateful for, for the opportunities I have to do that. But, um, but, uh, uh, my core message to, uh, people who are new to the field is that you have a, you've chosen an exciting profession. This is a bridge between those who, who have and those who need, and we, we are that bridge, and bridges often get walked on, um, and that's okay. Uh, that's what they're designed to do. So understand your role is to listen deeply and be a conduit towards the answers that they really want. Well, I think that's a that's a very important point, and I, and that's uh, I'm glad that you're accentuating that because I think uh, oftentimes, and and as Steve Neal said um, at the at the beginning here, there there are lots and lots of books that are how to, but very few books that can help a professional understand um, what 
what should be the way you should be viewed. How should you be presenting yourself? What is the role of the various players um, in the fundraising process? Because I, I think a lot of folks, particularly more junior folks, and of course we, we want them to aspire to uh, this master class, um, are often um, told how, how fundraising should work by people who don't know anything about fundraising. And having the confidence to be that internal consultant, to provide that, that information, um, even if it's not necessarily always saying, yes, we will raise that money, or yes, we can do this. Well, this is what it's going to take to get there. These are the resources that we're going to need. This is the role of these various players are all very important points uh, that you're making in this book. Uh, Lawrence, we're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, I'd like you to please help our listeners understand the role of the CEO uh, as fundraiser, and we will be right back. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always free and always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com on iTunes and now just say Alexa play nonprofit coach on TuneIn. Now back to the nonprofit coach podcast with Ted Hart. And we are here with Lawrence Pagnoni. Uh, Lawrence with uh, your new book Fundraising 401 Masterclasses in Nonprofit Fundraising that would make Peter Drucker proud. Um, what is the, the role of CEO as fundraiser, chief fundraiser? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, this particular topic is amongst my thousands of blog posts over the past uh, 15 years. Um, this one is the by and far at the top of the most read uh, list. Um, on the surface, Seeing the CEO as the chief fundraiser, for some people it seems obvious. For others, they take exception to my uh, strident statement because um, they fear it might undermine the, the leadership role of the chief development officer. But my point by exaggeration is to point out the unique role the chief uh, chief. chief executive officer has um, to think about fundraising and to support the chief development officer. Um, I, uh, I quote in this chapter uh, uh, Peter Drucker's uh, statement that that leadership is doing. It isn't just thinking great thoughts. It isn't just charisma. 
It isn't play acting. It is doing, making it so. And um, so uh, the, the CEO has the enormous ability to make something so if he or she wants it. And that's the support they can give to a chief development officer. Um, the chief development officer behind the scenes has to queue up the CEO for the intended action. And, uh, but the CEO, of course, has to believe that that action is the right course, the right step. And um, the actions I'm talking about are the bold ones, like to invest in fundraising at the height of COVID-19. Uh, we have three nonprofits that are doing that now at LAPA Fundraising, and their CEOs are, uh, are being creative to get ready for the fall fundraising uh, by doing advanced prospect research. You know, that's the CEO's role to say now more than ever. Um, but in, in all three cases, the uh, chief development officer showed uh, the CEO the plans for that and then uh, got in front of the initiative. So that's what leadership is, finding the money to pay for things that people often don't don't want to do. Uh, one of the things I loved about Peter is he, he used to say that if you have consensus on an action that's, that needs to be taken, you're probably either A, not bold enough, or B, you've got the wrong uh, direction. Uh, he says that, that, that leadership uh, often has to deal with uh, uh, non-intuitive directions, like spending money during a pandemic on fundraising. There's something non-intuitive about that, but um, uh, nonprofit CEOs know that they have to be here after this pandemic and for uh, the long term. And by the way, pardon me for getting on a one little high horse, you know, what this pandemic is showing us is, uh, you know, terrible health disparities in the, uh, the most frail throughout our world, people with underlying health conditions that were not addressed prior to the pandemic. And that's, that's, that's a, a, a significant part of COVID-19's real tra tragedy, especially for those of us who live in the United States where our health disparities are huge because of, of not having universal health care. But um, uh, if you're a nonprofit healthcare CEO, and you're not talking about investing in fundraising to deal with health disparities uh, after COVID-19 uh, peaks, uh, at least uh, uh, ho uh, hope that there's a, that level of immunity uh, that takes hold, um, you know, you, you have, are shortchanging your vision. You know, you really have uh, that leadership role. And uh, so many uh, chief development officers are trying to advise their CEO about that, but the CEO has to see their role as uh, forward leading and not status quo. And for the, the development officer, you know, another quote from Peter Drucker, management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. So what you're <laughs> calling out the CEO here is to do the right things, right? That's right. That's brilliant. That's, that's exactly Druckerian thinking. Thank you so much, Ted. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's uh, uh, why we have this podcast is to make sure that everybody uh, walks away with your brilliant wisdom of bringing Peter Drucker into uh, the fundraising world, which I, I'm loving this concept. But there, there's another role for the CEO. Is that is that not right? I mean, the C CEO certainly needs to be the cheerleader of the development department needs to make sure that's championing for proper funding if you want the outcomes. But then there's a direct role for the CEO to be deployed as the chief fundraiser. Um, and and how, what advice can you give from a masterclass perspective on what that role should be so all of our listeners can take your advice? Well, uh, uh, excellent question. So the chief executive officer has a key role in conveying the urgency behind our case for support 
and the necessity of their mission. So many CEOs get into uh, coalition meetings or uh, major gift meetings or institutional funding or even government meetings, and they, they really don't make their case for their indispensability. You know, I was in a meeting with the, uh, the United Nations uh, uh, Hunger and Malnutrition Task Force and their CEO blew us out of the room. I mean, I've been a, a hunger and a, a malnutrition activist my whole life, but he, he blew us out of the room with the data on, on what was happening throughout the world and why the UN was so important to be funded uh, for that work. And uh, so he's inspiring an old dog like myself. That's the role of the CEO in fundraising um, and, and, and towards the end of his, uh, his uh, presentation, he, he gave us the exact numbers, the dollars that would be needed um, to share the specifics about the dollars needed is missing from so many CEOs argument. Um, and, um, uh, and, and again, the, C, C, the chief development officer can help uh, the CEO know those numbers and convey them. But, uh, yeah, there's an essential role to convey their urgency. Yeah, but I, I'm also, you know, for, for our listeners today, how, how, do you, how do you inspire the CEO to, to take on that role with the same vigor uh, that they do with every other aspect of their job? Um, it, what, how, how do you transition or help your CEO transition from, again, just seeing the dollars that need to be raised as opposed to, I, I, you know, I really think that your book is making a case for the central role of leadership and the central role of management as it pertains to fundraising. And those, those concepts are often not in the same room at the same time. Right. Well, um, I think we all can agree that, uh, that a mission and its impact and its effectiveness is dead on arrival without the revenue. So, you know, that's a basic business proposition. Um, I, but I do still hear elegant CEOs speak about their mission and the impact they want to have. But then you look at the revenue program and, you know, it's tepid. Um, so there's a real, a real disconnect. And, um, uh, I think that the world of fundraising is still often a mystery to CEOs. They may come out yes. of a management yes. background. And, and I, so I, part of who I wrote this book for, it's not just for chief development officers or fundraisers. It's for the CEO to, to, so that our field will be less mercurial to them. They, 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 there's a pullout somewhere in the book about, you know, hey, by the way, we're a real profession. I, I don't mean that sarcastically, but I think, you know, th there's uh, so much that many nonprofit CEOs don't know about our profession. It's just astounding. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's right. And I think, and that's what I, I, I wanted uh, to pull out in this podcast for our listeners uh, today, because so much uh, is about how to, how to do direct mail, how to, uh, have, you know, someday a much better planned giving program, how to have a ma uh, ma major gift uh, program. But, but there's not as much about how to interact with leadership, how to be a strong manager. And you said something earlier that I wanted to ask you to reflect on, and that is the best thing you can do for your career, uh, the best thing you can do to be a good fundraiser is to interview well. Well, th that sounded to me like you, you have to understand the atmosphere and the, uh, the circumstances under which fundraising can succeed. And if you don't find those to be present or you don't feel that you can make that happen, you should not take the job. That's right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, managing up right in the interview is very important for fundraisers because uh, there's lots of danger signs. You know, if you look at a, 
five years of the 990, uh, the tax form 990 of the uh, organization you are interviewing with, um, and you see plateaued revenue, the same budget size year in and year out, my goodness, what more do you need to know? Look elsewhere. <laughs> Run for the hills. Right, right. Uh, well, and, and I would uh, often make the case to, to folks that, you know, if, if you are applying for a job at a, 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 an organization that has had five development officers in the last two years, yes. there's probably more wrong with that organization than there was with all of those five candidates, right? Yeah. Um, and not yeah. every organization is organized or has the leadership to succeed with fundraising. And I, I think that's a bold statement that often doesn't get made enough because the, the sense, I think, outside of a master class that a lot of organizations have is that we didn't have the right person to do the fundraising, not that we weren't the right leadership supporting fundraising. Oh, that's, that's totally brilliant. Uh, that's right. And that we get blamed, uh, you know, was, well, we, the, the fundraiser wasn't a right fit. There was bad chemistry. You know, you hear that a lot. Uh, I'd encourage right. some, some specifics you can do if you're trying to, if you're looking at a new job and you're trying to say, you know, what you're trying to know is what they're up for. This is the same thing you're trying to know in a deep relationship, whether it be a, a dating relationship or um, um, or a troubled relationship. You know, what, what is the other person up for? Um, and you could ask to speak privately with the chair of the development committee if they have one. You could even ask to speak if it's appropriate with the former uh, development officer. Um, you could um, ask them for various uh, iterations of their development plans uh, to see, you know, how they've evolved. Um, there's many ways to be curious, but I think you, we have to resist the idea that we need a job. And I realize that, you know, if we have families to support and our in personal income is is important, but but Peter Peter felt that we had a higher vocation to um, to to be a public service, and um, and so that's uh, that's part of why you're vetting the the nonprofit very well uh, should be a de rigueur in your interview process. Yeah, I'm so glad uh, that uh, that you said that. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, uh, so um, would you, uh, Lawrence um, Pagnoni, would you please wrap up your thinking here behind Fundraising 401 Masterclasses in Nonprofit Fundraising that would make Peter Drucker proud and make sure that my listeners know how they can reach you? Yes. So uh, uh, one of the the core takeaways of fundraising 401 is to help you deepen your thinking uh, behind all the tactics in your work. And if you uh, can get behind that thinking um, and develop it for yourself, you will bring gravitas to your field, your position, your job, and you will have greater performance at the nonprofit that you're working at. Um, and you will make mistakes in that process. Learn from those mistakes. Everybody says that, but um, uh, there's not a lot of latitude in, in that allows us to make mistakes. So I tell stories after story in the book, the mistakes that I've made and what I learned from them, um, and, um, and it'll make you laugh. It's a good read. It's also uh, 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 easily available on Kindle for 10 bucks, So it's affordable, and um, it's chock-filled with uh, uh, good graphics, which convey the message as well. Um, every chapter ends with the, uh, the lesson from the chapter in a pithy sentence, and those sentences are... Uh, all 23 of them are kind of a summary of the book. You can just skim the book and read those sentences. Um, 
but it's about going deeper than uh, than than we are now, and um, and that's uh, that's important. Great. I cannot thank you enough, Lawrence Pagnoni, for being my guest here today on The Nonprofit Coach. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Podcast with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.